John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That word is one word in the original language, in the Greek language, to telestai. Maybe by the time we're done the message, you'll remember that word, to telestai. One word. It means it is finished. Christ spoke one word from the cross to telestai. It is finished. Just that one word sums up all the greatest work. It's his sixth word from the cross. And that word from the cross, we can hardly do justice to it in 15, 20 minutes. You could speak on for years and years and years and years. It's so deep. It's so full. It's so rich. You know, you can never capture the breadth of it, the width of it, the height of it. Such as the love of Christ. You can never capture or understand or comprehend the fullness of his love that's conveyed in this one word which he wants for the whole world to hear. It is finished. In this word, Jesus is not saying, oh, my life is finished now. My life is done. That's not what he's saying. Um, Maybe it comes across as a cry of defeat. Oh, well, it's over. It's not a cry of defeat. It's a song of victory. It's a cry. It's a shout of victory. It is finished. And in these two, in these, in this one word, we're just going to look at two aspects of it. We could look at 150, but we'll just look at two aspects of it. The first one is his work for our salvation, his work for our redemption is done. That's the first part. And the second implication of that is rest in his finished work. Because there's no other way of salvation in the world than through his finished work on the cross for sinners. What was finished then? Jesus says, it is finished. What is the it? What was it that was finished? What was it that was accomplished? Well, by this word from the cross... Jesus preaches. He proclaims to the entire world that he has accomplished the work the Father has given him to do. How do we know that? Because if you just go back to John 17, that was the evening before. Remember Jesus prays to his heavenly Father. And what does he pray? In verse 4, I have glorified you on earth I have finished the work which you have given me to do. There's that same word, finished. And now it's the next morning on the cross. By the way, how long was Jesus on the cross suffering? I mean, it's excruciating pain to be hanging on the cross. Six six hours. 
And now he's almost at the end of his time. But the greater suffering was not the physical pain and the torture and the blood. But the greater suffering was that he was carrying the judgment of God for our sin. He was enduring. He was carrying the the anger, the wrath of God upon himself so that we didn't have to bear it. That is for all who trust on him. Satan. Oh, he hated this moment. Satan tempted, tempted Jesus to come down from the cross because Satan does not want Christ to accomplish his mission. He's moments away from being defeated, from being crushed. He's moments away from, as someone said this morning, laying the foundation for the church, which is forever and ever and ever. You read Matthew. You listen to the taunts of Satan through unbelievers and through their pride. Those who pass by him, what do they say? <laughs> if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Satan doesn't want Christ to finish the work for you and me. Even through the Jewish leaders, they were filled with pomp and circumstance. They loved ritual. They loved religion. But they could not stand the fact for why Christ came into the world was to die for their sin and rebellion. And what do they say? He saved others. He can't even save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. Then we'll believe in him. Those were tortuous, tortuous temptations that Christ endured. What what held him? What, What kept him to the cross? It wasn't nails. Christ is the son of God. He could easily just come down from the cross and get rid of those nails. What kept him to the cross? D.A. Carson puts it this way. He said it was not the nails that held them to the wretched, to the cursed cross. What was it? It was his firm resolve. His firm resolve out of his love for his father to do his father's will. That's the one side. But also, it was his love for sinners. That's why he endured. He persevered in spite of all the temptations, to the very end. And now at the brink of his death, he's ready to cry the sixth word. There are seven words, seven sayings he spoke from the cross. This is one number six. He's ready to cry out a song of victory. Not a song of defeat, but victory for sinners. But only if his thirst is first satisfied If only his thirst could be satisfied, then he could speak this word clearly and with strength so that it could be echoed throughout the entire world. That greatest moment in history, the cross, and those words, it is finished, to tell us die. The soldiers at the cross, what do they do in God's plan? They put a sponge full of sour wine on the stick of a hyssop, hyssop was probably not that long of a stick, maybe with some branches at the end, put a sponge filled with that wine, sour wine at the end of it, lifted it up and put it to Jesus' 
lips. And now, after receiving it, he had the strength to cry out those words that we all need to hear. It is finished. The greatest work the Father had given to do for our redemption, to pay for our sins, is completed. He accomplished two things. At that moment, you could say he accomplished two things fully. First of all, fulfilling the law, obeying the law of God perfectly, because we didn't. And second of all, bearing the curse for not obeying in my place. So fully obeying and also on the other side bearing the curse in my place. Notice in those two things. What happened? In Adam we failed in our obedience. Lawbreakers. That's who we are. Rebellious. Sinful. We failed in our obedience. And yet God in his grace and his love he sent his son He sent his son who obeyed God's law perfectly for you, for me, on behalf of sinners. Yes, he took the full punishment. That's the second side of it, right? He took the full punishment for our sin, which we deserve. And therefore, he removes the curse for all who trust on him for their salvation. Yeah, our sin. Not just the Romans, the Jews. We were there. We were hurling insults at him. That's what our sin did. Our sin placed him on the cross. You realize all the pomp and ceremony you see in our world today? That part's often missing. We make a big parade out of it. But what's missing often is it's our sin. It's our sin that put him to the cross. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God has been made. The guilt of sin has been removed. The entire work of redemption has been accomplished. That is, for all who believe. For all who turn from their own sinfulness. Turn from their sin. Turn from themselves. And trust fully on the sacrifice that God accepts for their sin. We Just saying this, it is finished. Oh, what pleasure do these words afford. Heavenly blessings without measure flow to us from Christ the Lord. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Yeah. And that's why the symbol of the empty cross. Not a cross with Jesus on it. He's not continually being sacrificed. It's finished. The empty cross is a symbol of the fact that He's off the cross. He's risen from the dead. And you see the effects, the powerful effects of the work which he completed on the cross. It's accomplished. But there's more to this word. It is finished. It captures, it reaches all the way back to Genesis through the entire Old Testament. It captures the shadows and types of the Old Testament. The blood sacrifices, the priests, the temple, the ceremonies, it all culminates in him. It's all fulfilled in him. To tell us die. 
finished all the types and shadows we sang of the ceremonial law, finished all that God has promised. Wow. What's the center of history? The cross. Christ came to lay the foundation for his church, for our salvation. You know, the sacrifices had to be offered again and again in the Old Testament. But they were just temporary. If you read Hebrews 10, verses 3 through 4, in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. And then it says, And then I said, Behold, these are the words of Jesus, I have come to do your will, O God. Yeah, it culminates in him. It's all fulfilled in him. If you're going to talk about a star, he's the star. We can't boast in anything else but in him. He's the only one who is praiseworthy. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Drawn or lifted up so that all the world may be drawn to hear. You know, when the time was right at that moment, when our redemption was accomplished, what did Jesus do? At that moment, at that exact moment, when it was all accomplished, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You notice here, his life was not taken from him. The other soldiers had to be pierced. I mean, sorry, the other, um, those others who were on the cross, crosses beside him had to be pierced. Jesus did not. They did not take his life from him. He gave his life. He laid down his life. He offers up his life for his people. It's all of him. It's all of him. You know, you go back to the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. What happened on the sixth day? He finished creating everything that he had made. He finished the work of creation. And now, in his sixth word from the cross, again, notice the word six. The sixth word from the cross, Christ now has finished the work for our redemption. It is finished. And there's only one response, of course, praise and thanksgiving and worshiping of him, but also resting. Resting your souls completely in his finished work for your salvation. That brings us to our second point. You know, the sense of this word from Jesus, the sense of this word Jesus proclaims from the cross is that he accomplished his work of salvation for us. But the sense also is, and it remains accomplished. The result of this work continues. You know that word, tetelestai? Those two little letters at the beginning, T-E? It tells you. It remains accomplished. The results, the power of it, continues throughout the world, through the message of the gospel. You know, think of a graduate of a college or of a university. He might choose to study further. He might want to improve upon or add to his or her studies. But the same cannot be said for Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. You can't improve upon it. It's beautiful and so glorious in itself. And to try to improve upon it, to try to add to it, would ruin it. 
would bring disdain upon it, would bring dishonor to your Savior. His work remains done. You see, briefly, three results of that. First, His work, His finished sacrifice, means it's once and for always for the world. It is never to be repeated. No updates required. Hebrews 7.26 says this, not that he should offer himself often. No, Jesus does not offer himself often. That's why the empty cross. As a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. But now, once at the end of the ages, he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ was offered once, once, to bear the sins of many. You know, what happened 2,000 years ago, it's not just for back then. Cultures may change, peoples may change, the world may be more modern, but the message, that old message of the cross, it's still the same message. It always, at the same time, remains fresh and new, and beautiful the message of reconciliation oh the message of God justifying not the godly but he justifies the ungodly by his grace through faith in Christ that has been made once and for always it is finished this word is not an old relic of the faith it's not from a bygone era but it's a message of hope to the Savior who hung as though he were helpless upon the cross. This fountain, <laughs> this fountain never runs dry. It's for the most desperate sinner can run to the fountain, fall like to the fountain fly, save me, Savior, else I die. It's so full, it's so fresh, it's so renewing. Its effect continues. It's accomplished. You know, all the people, all people in the world, doesn't matter who that person is, doesn't matter what their religion is, all people respond in one of two ways, for Christ or against Christ. There's no neutrality. Even Paul says, the message of the cross, the message of it is finished, is foolishness to those who are perishing. That is, for those who are going to hell. It doesn't... They just mock it. They find it foolish. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Two distinct humanities. There's only two humanities. There's only two religions. The one who responds against Christ and think it's all foolishness, and the one who responds say, this is the truth. I need him. Wretched I am. I need him to clothe me. I need him to save me. He came to earn the forgiveness that I need and the eternal life. Yeah, once and for always. That's one of the blessings from it. It's not temporal. It, 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 it has its power that will continue to the very end of the ages. Second, his sacrifice for your sin and guilt that sacrifice is sufficient. It's enough. You can't, and I cannot improve upon it. We can't add to it. 
your good works cannot add to this gift of salvation. Like Isaiah says, the best of our works are like filthy rags. Isaiah 64, verse 4. You know, man really is no different than what you see the mockers doing at the cross today. Today, man wants to avoid the issue of his own sinfulness and his need for salvation. But man uses, in his pride, in his unbelief, man uses religion. That's a nice mask, right? Religion. Uses his own good works. Even self-inflicted punishment. Even drugs. Even alcohol. Man uses these kinds of things as a mask to cover their sin and shame and guilt. Makes no difference whether it's religion, drugs, or alcohol. Either way, all those things are a mask to try to cover their sin, shame, and guilt. And then you hear this word from the cross. It is finished. Believe Him. Don't doubt Him. By coming to Him, boy, we can take off, we can remove all our pretenses. I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I need one to cover my sin. I need one to save me from my sin. All those masks are removed. And I come to the cross. I come to Jesus. As the songwriter says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I come to you naked so that you can dress me. I come to you helpless so that I may receive your grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know, the very ground for your forgiveness of sin and for God accepting you as his child is by how? It's simply by embracing Christ and his work alone for our salvation. Even Paul, right, he calls himself the worst of sinners. And what does he say? He speaks about being found in Christ and all of a sudden, all the shackles and chains of the sense of trying to earn your favor with God is all removed from him. That's a form of slavery. And he rejoices in Christ and says, not having my own righteousness, which is through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Let's put it this way. Suppose your friend were to surprise you with a beautiful, beautiful gift. And let's suppose your response would be that of immediately digging into your pocket or into your purse or wallet for a couple of dollar bills to help pay the expense. How would that person, your friend, who wanted to give this as a gift to you, respond? How would he feel? Insulted. Offended. But suppose the gift was an expensive coat. You offered five dollars. You would be wounding the one who gives you the gift. What about offering one dollar? Or twenty-five cents? Or a dime? Or a nickel? Or a penny? No, the smaller the payment, the greater the insult. We must accept gifts freely. Even if you pay a penny, it's not a gift. It's no longer a gift. The person that the person gave to you. 
And it's the same way with salvation. Even a small attempt to pay for our salvation is to forfeit our salvation, is to deny the one who gave us salvation. Not by works, lest anyone should boast, says Ephesians 2. God will not accept these words at the day of judgment. Look what Christ and I did. It's not a cooperation. You never knew me, Christ will say. I never knew you. Depart from me. It's not Christ and you. That's to bring insult and the mocking that you already see happening at the cross in the days of Jesus. It's all of him. It is finished. It's accomplished. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. But it's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. God takes away every reason for boasting and pride. And every reason for confidence in ourselves. And any reason for trying to find righteousness in ourselves. We don't have it. That's the honest truth. That's Christ by his spirit removing the mask. His sacrifice is sufficient. Okay? Once and for always is sufficient. And finally, we see that his sacrifice for sin and guilt is your confidence on the day of judgment. I like it the way one person put it to me one time. Not a believer. Oh, you mean to say that we're either judged in Christ or in hell forever? That's all. That's never thought of putting it that way. But it was an unbeliever who put it that way because he understood. He understood the implications. We're either judged in Christ or in hell forever. Wow. It is finished. What a reason to come to Christ. He bore God's judgment on the cross. In my place, condemned he stood. Someone put it this way, we need not fear that either sin or Satan or law shall condemn us on the last day. We may rest on our Savior, who has done all, who has paid for everything, he's accomplished all, performed all that was necessary for our salvation. And then you can use the argument, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who has died, and furthermore, who has risen from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. When we look at our own works, we may well be ashamed. If not, maybe we need to be to really see that we need this Christ. We need him. But when we look at the finished work of Christ, there's rest. Perfect rest. Complete in him, if we believe. Consider the Passover feast at the time of the Exodus. I saw this on a post recently. So true. The Lord did not check who inside the house was worthy. What did he do? He checked for the blood on the doorposts. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us and save us from God's punishment. Eternal punishment. You know, I think it's so in our sinful nature to think we have to do something for our salvation. To trust in our own righteousness. You know, that proves it, doesn't it? We need Jesus. 
because it's so not true. We simply cannot trust in our own righteousness or have confidence in the flesh. And so this, it is finished, is also an invitation. It's a call. Come. Come. Come to me. You who are naked, come for dress. You who are dirty, come for washing. And there you experience the richness, the fullness, the depth of this word. Yes, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God has been made. The guilt of sin is removed. Here, believe Jesus' cry of victory. Victory for you, for all who trust on his finished work for your salvation. It is finished. It is finished. To tell us the sign. Amen.